0: Listener Production. This is Crappy to Happy and I'm your host, Cass Dunn. I'm a clinical and coaching psychologist, a mindfulness meditation teacher, and author of the Crappy to Happy books. In this show, I bring you conversations with interesting, inspiring, intelligent people who are experts in their field and who have something of value to share that will help you feel a little bit less crappy and more happy. Samantha Wills began selling her handcrafted jewellery at the Bondi markets when she was just 21 years old. And while she'll be the first to tell you that there is no such thing as an overnight success, a few relatively short years later, that very jewellery that she'd been designing at her kitchen table was being worn by celebrities like Katy Perry and Eva Mendez, was even featured on the Sex and the City movie. Samantha Wills Jewelry became a global brand worth millions of dollars, and Samantha Wills The Person became the head of a global company. She was splitting her time between New York and Sydney, trying to maintain some semblance of balance in her life, dealing with imposter syndrome, and learning to stay true to her instincts and out of the comparison trap. She also had to learn to manage the business side of things while also being the creative force behind it. And then when the company was at the height of its success, she made the tough decision to follow her heart and close the business and walk away. On this episode, Samantha is very generously sharing some of her hard-won lessons and wisdom, and I know that you'll find her just as engaging and inspiring as I did, and that you'll take something away of value, especially if you happen to be a creative entrepreneur, but even if you're not. She's just released her memoir of gold and dust. And she's also launched a series of online masterclasses and workshops, which I'll tell you about after the episode. But for now, here's my chat with Samantha. Samantha, it is such a treat to have you on the Crappy to Happy podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a treat to be on. I get sent a lot of books because I interview a lot of authors on this show. And honestly, so many books that often I don't get to read them properly. I have to kind of skim through and pick out the highlights and the things that I really want to talk to you about. But your book, I read from cover to cover. I absolutely oh. loved it. <laughs> and and I don't often get to do that, but I was really, I, I really appreciated it. You've done a fantastic job. I just wanted to say that up front.
1: Thank you. That is truly the biggest compliment because as a reader, I'm like, if it doesn't get me in the first few pages, I'm like, oh, I'll get back to it later and I never do. So that was kind of my biggest fear as a first-time author. Um, And so many people have said it just as kindly as you just did. So that is a huge compliment. Thank you.
0: It is an amazing story, obviously, an amazing success story, but you've also really been very open in sharing the challenges that you have had along the way. And I know a lot of my listeners on this show will really relate to some of those challenges and will just be all ears to hear about your, um, you know, the lessons and the wisdom that you have have gained from your experience. So, Samantha, you grew a jewellery brand from your kitchen table, basically, to a multi-million dollar empire, you know, sold in stores all around the world. You also talk about at every, almost every stage of that journey in the book, you refer to imposter syndrome. Now, this is a topic that is an important one, I think. I've been talking to my listeners and my community about this experience of imposter syndrome that affects so many women. So I was really intrigued that you mentioned that despite all of your external success, you constantly had this feeling of, and for listeners who don't know that, term, it is essentially like the feeling of never being good enough, smart enough, qualified enough, talented enough to be in the places where you are, despite all the evidence to the contrary. So I guess, Samantha, I'm just curious to know how did imposter syndrome affect you and what kind of strategies did you use to overcome that, to keep moving forward with this business?
1: yeah i think it's well you know in the book i actually give imposter syndrome its own character so it plays such a big part in in my life um i don't remember really a time without it and i think the the more i've progressed down my career path i actually think the worse it's got to be honest and i think that for so long i held on so tightly to be like i need to get imposter syndrome out of my life like and exerted so much energy to try and you know move it completely out And it just, it didn't. And my experience is like, I don't think it ever goes away. So what I've tried to do um, into combating it is trying to find a way to live alongside it rather than exert all this energy to try and get rid of it. It's like, all right, how can I find some type of peace? If this is going to be in my life, how do I find peace around it? So, um, you know, I now... You know really acknowledge it and i'm like all right i i see imposter syndrome like just give me 10 minutes to kind of get this done or you know trying and this is the hard thing because i think we go into this vortex right when it, we get in that deep Conversation with imposter syndrome, but we have to be able to somehow step back from it and really separate fact from fiction because that vortex spiral is a really slippery slope, and before we know it, we can we can be deep in that, and it's it's a long journey out. So, um, separating fact from fiction, I also flip it around, and I'm like, if someone was talking to my best friend that way, I would be like, that's a hard no, put a stop to the conversation, and you know, and put distance between that, but. When it's ourselves and the conversation with imposter syndrome, for some reason, we don't offer ourselves that same empathy or, you know, action. So really, you know, flipping the roles that pretending it's like someone speaking to your best friend and how would you react and apply that reaction to it?
0: The fact that you even, as you say, gave it its own character, I think is a really useful strategy. It's like a really useful distancing technique, isn't it? It's like, here's me. And and over there is my imposter syndrome and it comes along for the ride, but it doesn't kind of call the shots. That's a really, I think that's a really clever strategy.
1: Yeah. And I think if you look at it as a character, as a person, like you would not choose to hang around with someone like that if it was an actual person in real life, but the conversation is very real. So, you know, what are we doing? And, and if we don't put a stop to it, no one will. You know what I mean? Like I'm 39 years old and often I'm like, I'm just going to wait for an adult to tell me what to do. And I was like, no, no, you're the, you're the adult here. So, um, you know, we have to take that responsibility to, to disrupt that conversation.
0: Yeah. And I think the other point that you made, which I think is a really important one to make, because when I see people offer advice with regard to how to overcome this imposter syndrome, it is often almost like fake it till you make it and then allow your success to show you that you do have what it takes. And as you said, often with imposter syndrome, the more successful you become, the worse it actually gets because the more exposed, the more visible, the higher the, the fall like the the higher the drop if if things were to go wrong and so yeah I, that's why I think that it's really important that we actually be real about the fact that that often is not the solution and we have to come up with another way to address it so that it doesn't get in the way
1: I think to me if I was to apply fake it till you make it and I'm like and that might work in short bursts and I've definitely implemented that strategy before but to have to operate at a level of fake it till you make it, always just sounds exhausting to me I that I, yeah. I, I i wouldn't be able to operate like that and i think i read a quote and this is not verbatim but i i really liked how it came together it was a quote by uh, jodie foster and she was like you know when they gave me the the oscar i just stood up there and, and it was just like they've made a mistake like this is not meant for me like they meant they must have meant to give this to meryl streep And then the next quote was Meryl Streep being like, you know, I don't even know why people come and see me in movies anyway. Like, I can't act anyway. And, you know, it was this whole like, you're like, all right, well, if Meryl Streep firstly is thinking (laughs) of that and has imposter syndrome, then we must all experience. I think it's also such an insular, um, you know, conversation and experience that we're always like, oh, she doesn't have it. She's so successful, she doesn't have it. And I'm like, everyone has it everyone is going through some type of conversation with imposter syndrome and um you know my mom said to me when when i was in high school was going to a party i was like oh i really don't like my shoes like everyone's going to be looking at my shoes at this party she's like Get over yourself. Like everyone's worried about their own shoes, exactly. no one's looking at your shoes. And I think that's the the whole thing. with, think, oh, you know, what if I try this, and what's someone going to think? And I'm like, no one really gives a shit, to be honest. I'm like, everyone's so worried about themselves. So I think keeping that in mind is a is a good um, good reminder that we're all very selfish beings, and we're all just worried about what everyone else thinks about us.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think what you said earlier too about you can't sustain that fake it till you make it. The other thing is that when you feel like a fraud, like when you've uh, imposter syndrome, is essentially feeling like you're already faking it. Um, so to expect to continue do that when you're already feeling like a complete fraud and that somebody's going to find you out is really unhelpful advice. Despite all of that um, fear and those feelings of not being good enough, you did create an incredibly, incredibly successful business, Samantha. And you seemed to have, correct me if I'm wrong, you had an intuitive sense of what this business needed, you really had an instinct for the the product and how to grow the business. I guess I'm curious to ask you how much of your success was, um, or, or how do people distinguish their intuitive, their gut feeling and f- go with that versus getting up in our heads and trying to think our way to solutions and outcomes like how do
1: you find that balance that is a great question and this is one of my favorite things in the whole entire world to talk about and i think intuition is not a new word to us right like we've known it since we were kids and you know we we know what the concept of it means i think though as we get older we start to really see the power of it and start to really learn the communication between you know i guess our body our gut feeling and what you know hopefully start to trust that more but at the very least start to learn what what that means because you know when you do something you're like oh i just knew that wasn't right like i should have known better because we probably did know better but we go against it yes so i think um in my studying and i study this topic a lot of of intuition versus fear um you know i talk about the the feeling filter which is you know our gut and our soul and our and our heart and then the the thinking filter is is obviously the mind so you know, I now put everything first and foremost through the, the feeling filter because you can't fake a feeling. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's that's your body talking to you. That's that's some intuitive being on the inside of you. You know, talking to you and communicating with you. The thinking filter and the job of our mind is to keep us safe and keep us in a familiar place. Now, when we're in a familiar place, doesn't always mean it's a great place. It could be, you know, a toxic relationship. It could be an uninspiring job. It could be you know, whatever it is. But the, the mind, the ego mind is always like, stay with what you know, no matter what that, um, no matter what that is. So, you know, when we're standing at a crossroads in any type of decision, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a major life decision. It can be anything throughout the day. We're often going to be faced with the, the choice of um, fear or faith. And our our higher self and, and whatever that means to you is always trying to direct us to our destiny. And that is, and des- destiny sounds like a woo-woo word, but it's, you know, the destiny is um, is taking the one little step at a time into the unknown. So the, fear, the fear-based choice in that instance is going to be stay with what you know, stay in the job you know because you know it's safe, even if something in you is like whispering that there is more the leap of of faith is the calm one, even though it's scary, the fear decision is staying exactly where you are.
0: That's great advice. And it's very true. And I know it's a topic that comes up in my community all the time. Like, how do I tell what is the right thing? How do I? And it's it's cultivating that self-trust, isn't it?
1: Trusting that inner knowing. To be honest, I I say that you know, like I've got it all worked out. I do, firstly definitely do not. <laughs> Secondly, I think that self-trust is a life's work. Like it's constantly something we're having to to, to practice and return to. Um, it's a complete life's work. Yeah.
0: You mentioned in the book that the one time that you did get kind of up in your head and maybe perhaps caught up in whether you would call it a fear or ego, that you actually made a really big mistake so was there a real, was that kind of a turning point for you in terms of like, right, I just have to come back always to my to my gut instinct?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, the the story you're referring to, I made the move to New York because the brand was, was very successful in Australia. We're getting a lot of celebrity placements in the States. So my business partner's like, hey, someone needs to drive this over there. So I made the move over, I think I was 28 at the time. And, you know, I just got besotted by everything that was New York. So I was out in, you know, doing market research in, you know, these top tier stores. And, you know, as brand builders and as creative directors, we can have every desire we want for our brand to be in a certain place of the market. But at the end of the day, it's the, the consumer, right, that they dictate where you sit. Whatever they're buying the most of is essentially what your core brand is. And we had found success as a tier two brand. When I say tier two, it means it's a very loyal following. A tier one brand is more so people are um, affiliated to trends and they'll change every season depending on what brand is doing the trend thereafter. Whereas a tier two consumer um, is very much like I am brand loyal, um, you know, and, and I, I say tier two because I am a tier two shopper myself. So I was like, okay, we had found where our niche in the market with a tier two shopper. It was very relative. Her and I were in conversation with each other. We were a bohemian brand. It was, you know, turquoise and large stones and burnished metals and bohemian styling and more is more is more. And then when I got to New York and, you know, in all these top tier stores, it was minimal. It was polished metals. It was, you know, no color whatsoever. And so I got into deep conversation with imposter syndrome being like, you, you're not even a real designer. Like, look at what all the real designers are doing. You know, if you if you knew what you were doing, that's the, you know, design language that you would do. And within one season, I turned the brand on its head and um, was like, Guys, we're not doing turquoise anymore. You know, we're doing petite styling. We're not doing, we're going to remove the word bohemian from the brand completely. And I was like, you know what? My story was so anchored from coming from Bondi markets, you know, through the journey. I was like, no one even knows where Bondi is in in New York. Let's get rid of that. And essentially pulled every relativity of, every connection point, every piece of color out of the brand. And, you know, not shockingly, it failed miserably. And, you know, it, it was really like hitting the, you know, detonation bomb on, on the brand. And I had to sit there in the rubble of it and kind of pick through these pieces and and start to put it back together. But to do that, I had to go back to the girl at the Bondi markets table. And, you know, why did we start this in the first place and and build rebuild from there?
0: Gosh, that is—I mean, it's a terrible thing to happen, but it is such a great story, and I think so applicable to everybody in every aspect of life. That always coming back to who you are, um, rather than trying to fit and mold and adapt to be something that you know you're really not, yeah, to satisfy somebody who, in the at the end of the day, wasn't even satisfied.
1: <laughs> totally. And I think, you know, and it, whether it's relates to business or personal branding or personal situation, um, and I think, you know, we're living in this age of age of perceived perfection. So we're trying to, you know, bend ourselves to look like everything else on Instagram. And, um, you know, the, the biggest takeaway for me in when I ruined the brand in one season, um, and I nearly bankrupted us. Like it wasn't, it wasn't insignificant. It was a pretty big mess up, um, I think that, you know, the biggest lesson for me from a a business perspective was stay authentic to who you are and find the people that that matches rather than trying to change your authenticity to try and, you know, find these people that it's never meant for them anyway. So, you know, really honing that message and And staying true to your authenticity, which I know is such an overused word, especially in brand building, but it is so, who is meant to find you will find you when you're being authentic. Otherwise, you'll be left a little bit high and dry, I think.
0: Who is meant to find you when they're meant to find you is going right back to that faith over fear thing, isn't it? It's like that really, like just trusting that if you are who you are, they will find you.
1: Absolutely, and I think that's. Um, I think the word manifestation has, you know, really been bastardized in in this day and age. But I think the truth about manifestation is literally just a tr- when you you're hundred percent truth, when you're living that and showing up as that, then you attract that and you attract what is meant for you so until we can find that within ourselves and really drop into that that's that's true manifestation it's not you know holidays and dream houses stuck on a a pinboard that's like elementary level uh, manifestation so i think going within and stripping away all these things that we we think we're told we're meant to be like or you know check boxes we're told we're meant to meet someone at this age and have kids at this age and do this with business and all these things i'm like know like what's your framework and live that with the entirety of your truth. And then what is meant for you can find you much easier.
0: With that whole topic of coming back and listening to your your intuition and the signals that we get from our body,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: there's another area where you were getting signals from your body, which you were largely ignoring in terms of your health. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm curious to have that conversation with you as well, because you know, from what you wrote, it was always prioritizing. There was a meeting or there was an obligation or there was a pressure or there's somewhere you had to be. And so you were always pushing aside this fairly loud calls from your physical body telling you that it needed some attention. With the benefit of hindsight now, I guess, can you reflect on that? And do you think it's an individual, because I mean, that's a common issue. There's a lot of people doing that, but Is it an individual striving and personal work ethic and a values kind of hierarchy? Or do you reckon that's a reflection of just the society that we live in that is so obsessed with productivity and achievement and doing and output?
1: I think it's accumulation of them all. I think, and especially as a Female, I think we're often, you know, juggling so much that innately we always put ourselves last because we're like, oh, right, well, I'd, if I put myself last, I'm not going to disappoint anyone else is our thought process, I think. Mm. So, and, you know, no one likes to disappoint anyone. So I, that makes sense on one level. But then once we hit that wall or collapse onto the floor or whatever it is, whatever that burnout is, I'm like, you're not really good to anyone when you're in that state. So... Yeah. I, and, you know, even now, so the the journey that you're talking about with, was with endometriosis and I put it off. For, I was getting signs from my body and my body was whispering to me at first, um, telling me that something's not right. And I ignored it and numbed it and just put it off, put it off. And it took me about five years to get myself into a specialist office. And, you know, it was quite a, a gruesome, um, you know, uncovering when I actually found myself in the OR. And, you know, I'd like to say that was that operation was a year ago now. And I'd like to sit here now and be like, you know, I really listened to my body. I learned so much from it, which I did hand on my heart did. But even now I find myself, you know, exhausted at times be like, Oh, you know, I just got to get through this. And then I'll, I'll get to that later kind of thing. So I think in hindsight now, um, while I definitely listen to my body and I, I action her calls much, much quicker, I'm still guilty of putting it on the elusive. I'll do it when I'm when I get to a kind of list,
0: yeah, I guess that's another work in progress, isn't it, for all of us? Yeah, it is. We're all us we in progress. We are. Uh, <laughs> Samantha, getting back to the business journey, uh, you, you, as you said, you started the Bondi Markets. I mean, it is such a fabulous story, and it became really successful. Um, and then it got to a point where you couldn't do it on your own anymore, and you brought on a uh, brought on a business partner. I'm curious to talk to you about how important it was for you to ask for help and and balancing that with letting go to some degree of control when it was your baby, your brand, your name all over it. So that looking for help, but also having to let go a little bit, how did you balance that?
1: Um, I think the looking for help one is I don't know why we're so close network in, in those type of moments or myself included where you're like, oh, I can't tell anyone I'm failing or I can't tell. And I think mm. your hand is often forced in as I think I've, I've tried to communicate through the book. It's like you'll only get so far by not living, you know, what is meant for you. And if you're paying attention to to the signs and whatever that is, and, you know, along my journey, it was like, well, I was $80,000 in debt by that point. I literally, you know, I was eating baked bean jaffles every night. If it was a good week, I'd put cheese on them. That was like, we had absolutely no money. The bank, (laughs) the the bank rightly so wouldn't give me any more credit cards. Um, And I just, I'd gotten to the end of the line. And I think Whether it's frustration or whether it's um, exhaustion, whether it's getting tired of hearing the same thing come out our mouth over and over again, in whatever capacity that is, there is some kind of beauty in getting fed up with our own self, whether that's, you know, being forced at the end of the line or making excuses over and over, whatever it is and at this point i had no choice but to ask for help it was you know it was forced upon me to ask for help and i just told anyone who would listen i was like do you know anyone that might be wanting to get involved in a fashion brand you know i'm looking for a business plan i just need someone that's business minded and um as i tell in the story you know i met uh, another person who i thought was going to take that role and signed a contract that was like okay i just this is going to get me out of debt and my my vision was so small it was so it was like I just, I just need to get out of debt. Like I didn't look any further than that. So, you know, it was, it was very, I often use the, um, the analogy of like, if you look at a field mouse and all that a field mouse can see is this blade of grass, but then if you have an Eagle, the Eagle can see everything, but they might be, you know, in direct line with each other. But as you move through business, your perspective needs to go from a field mouse, you know, all the way, I guess up the food chain to, to have that Eagle perspective. And at that time I, I had only field mouse perspective. And was like, okay, I just need to get out of debt. That's it. Signed the contract with him. Unbeknownst to my, I mean, I knew, but, you know, I didn't think about it too much. He wanted 51% of the company. And I was like, no worries, that's fine. As long as it gets me out of debt. And this kind of desperation and, you know, serendipitously, the universe put someone else across my path, which went on to be my longtime business partner and very dear friend um, who is through the book a lot. But yeah, it's, it's tough and i think you know in regards to handing stuff over it's a constant especially as a creative founder it's a constant push and pull through that journey um but again i think once you get when you're on your knees being like i can't go any further you start to look at things a bit differently and you surrender over a little bit more i think
0: hope that you're enjoying this conversation and realizing the benefits of positivity in your own life. If you are enjoying the show, please be sure to like and subscribe so that you get notified when new apps drop and head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a rating and review. you mentioned that you it was a bit serendipitous that Jeff, your business partner, came across your path. And there's a lot of that through the book, that, that kind of serendipity. And I think that this goes back to that intuition kind of conversation we were having before about these signs from the universe, this trusting. And there's so many examples in your story about things just falling into place. But I think we have to be open to seeing those signs. I'd love to hear um, your your take on on that, on just the whole trusting the universe.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I am a huge believer in this. Obviously, I think when things happen that are very obvious in the moment, you're like, oh, that's, you know, what a coincidence. And my entire belief system now is there is no such thing as coincidence. There's a, a beautiful line in The Alchemist um, where he says, if something happens once, it happens once, but if it happens twice, it's sure to happen a third time. And I was like, yeah, I can see that through through my journey where, you know, and the universe will keep trying to present and trying to present. And then if you're not paying attention to her, she kind of slaps you around a bit, whether that's in the form of, you know, heartbreak, health, whatever it is. She tries to get your attention in different ways. And um, I think the thing and having the privilege to write this book and look back on my, you know, almost two decades, I guess, of, of my career to date. Um, for so often I would hold on so tightly to things like my idea of success was this like, all right, we're going to that pinpoint. Like that was the, you know, the whole of success. And doing that, I kind of didn't see what was unfolding around me often because success, you know, can take in many forms. We can be like, oh, yeah, I want to go there. But the most beautiful journey might happen when we allow what is happening around us. And and I think your idea of what, not so much success, but like for me, I remember being down at Bondi Markets and I used to think, oh, my gosh, if I had a retail store in Bondi and that was it, just one retail store, that would be the Best thing to ever, ever happen to me. Like I wasn't even thinking New York. I wasn't thinking sex in the city. I wasn't thinking all these things. And so I'm like, if my vision stayed at one retail store in Bondi, then I would have missed all these other incredible things that happened along the way but the thing is it doesn't happen on our timeline right like we have to put out what what we want and, and do everything to be prepared for those opportunities and i think that's one of the most beautiful i think the um qbc thing or the rachel Zoe um stories that i tell in the book where i remember sitting in this tent you know in, in fashion week at, in new york and it was freezing cold and i was like wow you know watching rachel Zoe present her collection on qbc i was like that would be amazing for us and it happened eight years later, when you know it was almost like I was in a different frame of mind then. But um, yeah, the timeline is is not our own, so we have to surrender that over. I think surrender is a great word. How did you
0: juggle your work and your personal life? You were so busy for so long, flying backwards and forwards between New York and. Sydney. And that New York flight, it's a shocker. Like LA is really reasonable, (laughs) but across (laughs) across to New York is the worst. And you did it every six weeks for years. Is it possible for us to have it all,
1: Samantha? (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) I think, um, (laughs) and I say this in the book, I'm like, whoever came up with the the concept of work-life balance definitely was not a creative entrepreneur. So, um, you know, there is sacrifice. Absolutely. You know, it's, I don't know, I think as an entrepreneur, we traditionally link that word with work and in the, say the olden days, but like previously, um, it, it's, you meant to work nine to five and then you come home and you, you, you know, this and then you got the weekends off. And obviously we're in a different world now. And um, a lot more people are beautifully exploring the entrepreneurial journey. And I think as an entrepreneur, like our whole thing, that is our passion. That is our sole purpose at, you know, at whatever stage of of that journey we're moving on. And I kind of liken it to the way that if someone, for example, wanted to be an Olympic swimmer and they got up at 3.30 every morning and they trained five times a day and you barely saw them because they're always in the pool training, people wouldn't be like, oh, you work too much. Like you need to slow down a bit. They'd be like, you're so dedicated. Um, Good for you. Like we're cheering you on. So I think we just need to reframe that concept of of what balance actually is because i know for me if i wasn't working on creative projects or you know i love i love what i do and for me that's you know it's it's way too cliche to be like it's not work if you love what you do but i don't want to just work nine to five on what i'm doing like so i think that framework is different for everyone Having said that, I think um, obviously listening to our bodies and when when they need rest and, you know, there's no point burning them out um, without rejuvenating ourselves. Also on that, I will say, you know, I get asked a lot, what's the one advice you would give to women um, in business to not burn out? And the only advice that I can give with my hand on my heart honesty now is, you will only not burn out once you've burnt out, because I think that that burnout really, you know, teaches you to to look at what's important in your life, look at how you're spending your time, and as such, your energy. And then that makes it a makes it a lot clearer when when you're kind of looking up from the hotel room floor, trying to breathe at times, but really, you know, assessing what is important in your life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. As you became more successful too just talking about that balancing of personal and professional life obviously you had a very big public role you as the face of the brand but there was always stuff going on in your private life and you know that can be said for anybody who has a job i guess in the public eye and that opened you up to a whole lot of criticism and you talk in the book about a time when you were really struggling personally and you'd been unwell and you'd lost a lot of weight and then you were on the receiving end of a whole lot of people's opinions and feedback uh, online. And I guess anybody, again, the more successful people become, the more open to criticism they become. How did you manage to handle or what advice do you have to people about handling that kind of
1: trolling, I guess? Yeah, I think it's, um, and I mean, whether it's public facing or not, I think a lot of the time, you know, we as solopreneurs or as entrepreneurs, you're you can't call in sick to the boss because you are the boss. The world doesn't stop, you know, when we're experiencing grief or trauma. And I think that can be really, really difficult. Add to that a public element. And um, I don't know, like, I remember reading the messages which I put into the book. Um, I remember reading them at the time, and I think I was so numb. I was comp- like of body, mind, and spirit completely numb that they didn't even. They didn't even reach me. Like I, I read them, obviously, but they just kind of, bound, I just had no bandwidth at that point to even absorb them in, which I think in some weird ways is kind of a blessing because some of them were quite awful. Um, but I think there comes a point, point when, and I think this is the internal work, where you have to find a way to protect yourself and your spirit and whatever we have to do to do that. And I think that, you know, it's something internal where I don't know, if I was visually to describe it, it's almost like you have to wrap your your soul or your spirit in, in like this barrier. Um, and I, I don't know, for, for some reason now at this point in my career, like none of that even bothers me anymore, but there would have been a time earlier on when it absolutely would have crippled me. So I don't know the the exact answer, but I think, you know, again, separating fact from fiction and, and taking a step back, like imagine what it takes for someone to sit at a keyboard and type those type of words, like clearly they're not a very happy human being or clearly that's that's an issue that they've got with them, you know, and I'm sure it's not just you that, you know, whoever's yelling at, but it wasn't just me that were yelling at on, online. They would have, you know, you see kind of names pop up of, of these abusive type of messages. So um, I think, you know, stepping back, keeping a really sound um, grounding around you and and separating that it's it really really is not you because they can unfollow but for whatever reason they don't so <laughs> that's a them issue not a not a you issue
0: Samantha I know that you're on a tight time frame at the moment so I've just got one more question I mean I guess the, the fast forwarding to the to the end of the Samantha Wills jewelry brand I mean you made a decision to actually close that business when you it was booming I mean you were at the top of your game and you made the hard call to close it and i so i really think this is so important and i i love this because sometimes it is the quitting is something is the most important the best thing to do but we can get so hung up on what it means to quit or what it looks like or letting people down or feeling
1: like a failure how did you resolve
0: that within yourself to make that decision
1: well, again, I think it goes back to a, a framework that we've taken on that is not necessarily our own. Like I know that in my parents' era, there is no way that you would close a business that's making money because that's just it makes no logical sense. So I think we take on a lot of that framework from be our parents, be it society, be it our schooling, whatever it is. And again, I think going back to the thinking, the feeling filter and the thinking filter. So when I made the decision to close, and you know, I, I try and really um articulate this in the book that it was probably a two year discomfort within myself as a creative person that my my creative heart wasn't in it anymore but i was like oh it's just a creative block you know this will pass this will pass and when it didn't, when I allowed space for the information to reach me that it is time to close and wasn't something I'd ever even thought was an option before because, you know, you ever so modestly you name a brand after yourself. I'm like, this is my lot in life. Like, this is, you know, this is what I do. Um, so I, I think that, you know, what I would do when I made that decision, I was like, man, that's that's a big decision. And it affects so many more people than just me. So I woke up every morning for two weeks. I didn't tell a single soul. And I woke up every morning and I asked myself how I felt about it. I didn't ask myself what I thought about it because I knew if I was going to put it through the thinking filter, there was no logic to it. But, um, you know, through the feeling filter, it felt like the right thing to do. And like I said before, you can't fake a feeling. And I think that, you know, so much had gone into this brand from both myself, an incredible team of women and a few guys that worked on it over the 15 years. And for me, carrying on with it when my my hands were creating Drew, but my heart wasn't, that was fraudulent to me. Like, I, I don't think that's really honoring what we had done. So to me, you know, walking away while it is at the top of its game was a much more beautiful way to honor that legacy. Um, and but yeah you you're right like i it makes no logic and i've had to argue with people they're like it makes no sense i'm like i know it doesn't make any sense but um it was it felt like the right thing and i know it's the right thing for for me to do so yeah
0: i love it to be honest. And I actually, I don't know if you know, but a couple of years ago when I first heard you close the business, I tried to get you onto the podcast to talk about exactly that. So I'm so thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to you oh, now because I was contacting your management saying, I need to talk to this woman because this is so important to trust yourself and to know
1: when it's time to say no, to, to call it quits. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I'm sorry that didn't happen then, but I think this is a much better conversation now. So yes, Oh
0: always, always with that benefit of processing it and the and time to reflect. Samantha, I would encourage anybody to go and pick up the book. It is such an amazing success story, but also your personal journey. There's something in there creative entrepreneur or not. I think every woman will find something in there that really resonates with them, just about those important life lessons and trusting yourself and having faith. Um, I seriously appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you for being here and good luck with everything.
1: Well, thank you so much. And thank you for your kind words. They mean a lot. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Samantha's memoir
0: is called Of Gold and Dust. It's a great read and it is available now in all good bookstores. And you can find out about her online masterclass and creative workshops at her website, samanthawills.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at SamanthaWills. Of course, as always, you can connect with me on Instagram. I'm at CassDone underscore XO. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And I also love reading your feedback. So shoot me a message on Instagram or email hello at castun.com. And my third book, Crappy to Happy, Love Who You're With, that is the Relationships Edition, is also now available in all good bookstores. The link to order is in the show notes. I'll see you on the next episode of Crappy to Happy.
1: Listener.